comes the, here comes the, here comes the, y'all don't really worry like What is up, everybody? That's right. We finally have intro music. This is episode one, I guess, of the Dynasty Degenerates podcast brought to you by the Gridiron Experts Network of Podcasts. I am your host, Jared Forrest. You can find me on Twitter, as always, at the Dynasty Owl. I am joined by my co-host, as always, Mark Leopold. You can find him on Twitter at Leopold NFL. Mark, we have a new home, we have intro music, we have a new name. What's up, man? You forgot the most important part, is we have a dope new logo. And oh, shit, that's right. Yeah, That's, that's what was really holding us back before. Yeah. Now that we have the logo, the sky is the limit. That's right. Or we as do Michael have... Jordan says, the ceiling is the roof. <laughs> we do have a brand new logo. Uh, if you've have not seen it, you can head over to uh, gridironexperts.com slash podcast where you could see our logo as well as the family of Gridiron Experts podcasts. Ours, of course, course, is the flagship dynasty podcast of the Gridiron Experts Network. This is our new home. We do not really have a set day when we'll be recording. We kind of just wing it. Uh, so we're recording here on free agencies about three hours old. We are not going to be talking too much about that today. Uh, we want to get all the free agents in and, and sign before we, we do it piece by piece, uh, even though there are some exciting moves. But we will be talking about kind of our philosophy with the combine, immediate takeaways from the combine from a couple of weeks ago, and what that does for some dynasty draft stock. However, just because free agency just started doesn't mean we can't talk about trades. Let's start with Antonio Brown. Mark, obviously this is something that we all expected to happen, unlike the other trade that we will be talking about. Uh, we all kind of figured that the Raiders were a landing spot. Maybe the 49ers were another popular landing spot for AB. What do you think this does for his value as well as the value of some of the pieces affected by this move? So I was thinking 49ers were probably going to be the landing spot. I agree. Oakland ends up being the place he goes. I think that's probably worse. Uh, Oakland's offense is not one that I would describe as overly creative uh, or overly pass heavy. So I think it's a downgrade overall. And I think what we're going to see is maybe a slight uptick in volume, but that's going to be hard to accomplish uh, based on the offensive philosophy, based on target share, and just based on the, the fact the Steelers are actually very pass heavy. Uh, and Ben Roethlisberger had a ton of attempts last year. So even if he sees an increase in targets or whether it's just target share, I think we're going to see the efficiency come down. And so I think we're going to see the overall numbers come down, not to mention the fact that I think we're going to see Oakland score a good amount fewer touchdowns than Pittsburgh did last year. So the touchdown department I do not think will be replicated from the strong number he put up last year. And that's obviously one of the primary drivers of fantasy production just because they're so skewed in terms of value relative to catches and yards. Uh, so I would say downgrade overall. But the thing that does excite me is now we get to see if Juju is really legit against number one cornerbacks. And we also get to see, I hope, James Washington slide into a starting role uh, lining up across the field from Juju. And I'm excited about that. I own him in a lot of places because he was – 
viewed as a, a decent first round pick until his landing spot last year in the draft. So hoping for a breakout from Washington. Yeah, me and you were both on kind of the same boat with James Washington. I know I was personally hoping that he would go to Dallas last year to replace Dez. I thought that would have been a perfect landing spot. However, if there's anything about Pittsburgh that we do know is that the draft and develop wide receivers just about as good as anybody in the NFL, uh, going all the way back to when they drafted Emmanuel Sanders, developed him, let him walk, or Antonio Brown, let him walk, Juju. Hopefully James Washington can kind of follow that mold. But, uh, yeah, I agree. Do Does uh, Juju fill in for that number one? I personally don't think he does. Uh, I think he will continue to be uh, a top 24 receiver. I don't see him as a wide receiver one in Dynasty, which is probably an unpopular take. That's fine. Uh, I think you're going to be seeing him get, obviously, all the top corners now, maybe even double team, some top safety help over the top. Ben is another year older, which – uh, they're looking to extend him, which I don't understand as far as a front office move. But then Antonio moving to Oakland, uh, I, I don't I, – I guess this helps Carr because um, anytime you move an elite wide receiver somewhere new, it's going to help. But I, I agree where the, the efficiency, you know, is not going to be there. Um, the volume is not going to be there. One of my bold predictions last year was Antonio Brown does not finish as a wide receiver one. I was wrong. However, I'm probably going to say that again going into this year. Uh, yeah, I knew it was off. just a year early. Yeah, that's that's all. That's all it was. Um, I, I don't. He's he's another year older. You know, Antonio. He's almost 31 now. Uh, so he'll be. I believe he'll be 31 once the season starts. Um, and I, I they don't have any. They don't have many pieces there. I know. Tyrell Williams signed there a couple hours ago, which uh, as far as free agencies. So I, that doesn't really do anything for me as far as Antonio's value. If anything, that hurts it because now Carr has other options. Jordy is still there and they need tight end help. They still need offensive line help. So, uh, and of course they need a running game. I don't think this does anything except for Carr. It boosts his value a little bit. He's still not someone I'm particularly targeting. Uh, all in all, this was a pretty meh move as far as I'm concerned in Dynasty. I don't think anyone really, you know, got a boost in value. I don't think a lot of people really took a hit in value. Except for James Washington. James we Washington, he's definitely the biggest winner. Um, but that's yet to be seen, right? I mean, Ben called him out last year. Uh, and then Washington had a decent second half of the year. Granted, he was still just a third option but there's really no one else there to line up opposite Juju. You have, I think Eli Rogers is still there. Um, and, and they just don't have much help. So uh, I, I don't think they'll go into the draft looking for a wide receiver. I think that they'll rely on, you know, James Washington and Juju. Uh, Ryan Switzer is still there, but you look, he's a slot guy. So um, the only thing that could, that could hurt James Washington value now is if they go and the draft or wide receiver in the first or second round and, you know that that would that would not be good, but I wouldn't push pit, put it past Pittsburgh at this point. So, see what happens when the draft comes with that. Now, the other trade, however, was very surprising. Uh, maybe some people were talking about it. I don't think many actually thought it would happen. Odell Beckham finally moving on from Eli, going to Bakerland in Cleveland, where everybody's value is changing. This is. Very much opposite the Antonio Brown trade. 
This is pants off type of trading right here if you're a Baker fan. You can make the argument that Baker Mayfield is a QB1. Some may say it's still Mahomes. That's fine. Uh, I'm curious what your take is on Jarvis Landry's value as of now, uh, what this does to the Giants, and maybe someone like Evan Ingram or Sterling Shepard. But what was your immediate reaction when you saw that Beckham was traded to Cleveland? I think it's – honestly, it's pretty much a good thing all around except for Landry, I think, and David and Joku as well. But it's obviously a good thing for Mayfield. I think it's a good thing for all the pass catchers in New York. Eli is an obvious downgrade, but it's not like we were interested in him anyway. So not even a little bit. The people who are kind of reeling from Evan Ingram's sophomore slump or – depending on Sterling Shepard as like their wide receiver three and getting inconsistent production. I think it helps those guys, but it hurts. It also is going to hurt Saquon Barkley, I think, because they're just going to have to run him into the ground. Uh, I can't remember who. I wish I could give credit, but somebody tweeted out that Barkley faced basically twice as many stack boxes in the games that Odell was out, which makes sense. And so I think they're going to need to address the position and get somebody else in as a pass catcher. Uh, I'm speculating at this point, maybe that'll be DK Metcalf, but mm. they need to do something so that they can actually use Saquon Barkley. They took number two overall last year. Um, and then on the Cleveland side, I think it's a downgrade for Landry because obviously that's probably, I would say about 150 targets that can't go to him. And anytime you take away targets, especially from a receiver who's been inefficient throughout his career, it's going to be a, a big downgrade. Um, so it hurts Jarvis Landry. It hurts David Njoku. I think you're going to see him become more of a tight end dependent, uh, touchdown dependent tight end this year, rather than jump into that consistent weekly producer territory that some were hoping or expecting. And Odell, I think you can still count on. I mean, he's just such a good talent. He's so versatile. You can use him in basically any part of the field. You can use him in the red zone. You can use him short, deep. So I think he's going to be just fine. And then Mayfield, I think he jumps probably into at least the top three, if not up there with Mahomes, uh, just based on the talent around him. We know how much that can support a quarterback, as we saw in Kansas City with Alex Smith two years ago now. Uh, so it's a, it's a legitimate conversation between Mayfield and Mahomes at this point. Yeah, uh, as soon as this happened, I thought, you know, me, me and a buddy of mine um, who were in, in probably my big home league, uh, he has Mahomes, I have Baker, and we were going back and forth as to who we think QB1 is. Uh, I Again, I think it's Baker. I think that the weapons he has, and especially long-term. You know, Jarvis, I think uh, you nailed it, where the volume isn't necessarily going to be there. But PPR leagues, I think you're going to see the same Jarvis Landry that we may have seen for the first half of his career in Miami, where maybe catch-wise, he, he kind of matches Odell, but he's going to be 600 yards short of him and, and quite a few touchdowns. So if you're in a PPR league, it's still something that I would target. Um, then you have Najoku. Uh, I, I think this is good for, you know, o, uh, just looking at Baker's weapons, uh, Odell, Chubb, Hunt is there, Duke Johnson, who is buried so far on this depth chart right now where he just needs to go and, and get a new team. For he needs to be value. traded. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Um, but – the Browns uh, are becoming the most exciting team to watch uh, in, in the league. Uh, either them, the Rams, the Chiefs, it's a fun time to be a football fan. And as far as the Giants go, yeah, uh, I think you could look at Evan Ingram and kind of be confident that he's going to return to the top five tight end status that we saw his rookie year. 
I don't think this is good for Sterling Shepard at all because he's not a number one receiver by any means. I think he's a slot receiver. So to put him on the outside and kind of force him into that number one receiver role is is not good for him. Uh, the absolutely need to go out and get a wide receiver with this trade. You know, they got the 17th pick overall, so that gives them the 6th and 17th. What this organization is going to do with it, I have no idea. Um, they don't yeah. really have many pass rushers, and uh, this draft is full of edge guys. So that might happen at 6. You know, there's a lot of talk of getting a quarterback at 6 or waiting until 17 for a quarterback. Maybe a wide receiver at one of those. They're, this team is just so uh, in need of, of absolutely every position, and, and you would think that one of them has to be quarterback to replace Eli. But uh, I'm not about to speculate on what this team does. You can't speculate on what a team is going to draft after the trade. Literally the best player they've had uh, in the last 15 years of the franchise. So um, that being said, I think that's about all the reaction for the trades. Uh, we don't really want to go into the free agency uh, too much. There's still a lot going on, and it's tough for me to contain uh, my feelings for the Le'Veon Bell to the Jets, but <laughs> I will contain because as much joy I have for that, I have hatred for Anthony Barr. Uh, moving on. Let's yeah, talk that, about that's really ahead. the problem. If anyone's wondering why we're waiting out on yeah. until the next show is that Teams can still back out until a couple hours ago, so we don't have full official confirmation on these things, and everything is just kind of voice confirmation at this point. So nothing set in stone, and that way next week we'll have everything will be fully official. Not, nobody will be backing out, that kind of thing. Yeah, and we, we've been talking offline about when we want to record next week, and we're going to try and have a somewhat earlier in the week show just because most of the big names should be signed by then. Uh, yep. I know there's a lot of big names that still have yet to be uh, you know, uh, connected to a team, which is kind of surprising. I know just before we started recording, Tevin Coleman was finally uh, reported to sign, uh, which is going to absolutely destroy someone else's value. So if you're listening to this and you haven't seen that, go check out that. But we'll have uh, reactions. Uh, we'll go position by position, player by player. Uh, this was one of the more fun free agency periods that I remember. Um, so it's uh, it'll be exciting to talk about. But because we have not been able to record as often as we like, we never got a chance to talk about the Combine, uh, which is, for Dynasty fans, one of the biggest days of the offseason. So, and one of the most overvalued days of the probably, offseason. It's the, the most overvalued days. I, I personally think, as far as, as far as football goes, it's, it's way more important for defense. But fantasy goes, uh, you know, the, the Combine was the only reason – why John Ross was selected as early as he was in the NFL draft led to him being selected as early as he was in dynasty drafts. So um, it's, it's, it, you could take it or leave it uh, as a metrics guy. I'm curious to know where you stand with the combine uh, and, and how it goes with, with uh, certain ways that you evaluate your players. Yeah. I mean, overall, I don't put too much weight on it because I think what's more important in a lot of cases is the guy's college resumes. And then, especially for running backs, landing spot, draft capital, those things really matter. Draft capital, number one, obviously, because it guarantees you early opportunity. And above that, it guarantees you the opportunity to fail. Because we see guys like Devontae Parker is probably one of the best examples. Mm -hmm. Very early pick, high draft capital, and he is just 
come out for several years and just done nothing. And he's still on the team. They're considering re-signing him to a two-year deal as of yesterday or today. Uh, and then if you're drafted in the fourth or fifth round, that's not going to happen. You get one, maybe two chances, and if you fail, you're probably bounced from the team, maybe bounced from the league. So draft capital matters, landing spot matters, especially for running backs. And the college resume, I think, really gives more insight into these guys' potential than athleticism. But when a guy tests very well or very poorly, it can definitely move the needle. And I think a prime example this year is if you look at uh, Miles Sanders, he tested very well. And because he kind of flew under the radar at Penn State being behind Saquon Barkley, he only has one year of solid production. And he's getting overlooked in a lot of cases. So I think we're going to see him move up now that he's tested well. People are going to start looking into him more. And so it's not just that he tested well. I think it's going to bring awareness to what he did at Penn State in his final year. Uh, But I think it's going to help him quite a bit. And on the flip side, you can look at a guy like Devin Singletary, who had a strong college resume, but he went to Florida Atlantic, so he didn't play great competition. And the question is always, did he just beat up on them because he's better than them? Uh, or is he, you know, is he legit? And so he goes out and he tests very poorly at everything, essentially. And so then that's kind of the case where you start to cross him off your list or at least knock him down because he doesn't look legit at this point. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. Um, also, I think that people tend to put too much into certain drills. Um, we heard so much about the combine that DK Metcalf was having and the physical specimen that he was. And he is, he's, he's, he's not less than 2% body fat. That's such bullshit and such a lie that it, it's hard to fathom how people believe that. Um, but that it's not true. Uh, and he did have a good combine up until the agility drill started. So it, it, I know if, if you look at um, some metrics you know, at 6'3", 228, uh, his 40 was 4.33. That's absolutely unbelievable um, to run that fast and to weigh that much. Uh, he had a great broad jump, great vert. So he's explosive. There's no doubt about that. And I think we could tell that by the film, too. However, uh, the agility drills and in the, um, the gauntlet, uh, it, it was just... Uh, really destroyed what I thought uh, any value he had for me. He, I dropped him way down on my board because you can't rely on a guy to run straight uh, for every every route. This guy is not supposed to be a red zone threat. He's supposed to be a number one receiver. And to have uh, a three cone of seven three eight, which is historically bad. Uh, I, I don't know if people understand this because for some reason NFL Network doesn't actually air the three cone drills. But the video finally surfaced a couple of days after the combine. And to have a 7-3-8 three-cone, I think, according to player profiler, that put him in the bottom 3% ever. It's really bad. So that's historically bad. And uh, so that's something that you absolutely need to look for in all your skill positions, your running backs, your wide receivers. And we'll get into the specific skills in a little bit. But he's someone just that just kind of stood out to me. On the opposite end, uh, Paris Campbell had a great combine. Uh, and, and, you know, he, he's someone uh, similar to what you were saying of people that, um, you know, didn't really they knew about him, but the combine 
uh, kind of put him into the early talks for uh, early dynasty picks somewhere in the first round, maybe back half the first round with the 4-3-1 40 yard dash, which is elite, uh, a 40 inch vert, uh, 11 three on the broad and a 403 short shuttle, which are all in the top five of the positional group. So this is a former track star. These are all numbers that we expected. Um, it'll be interesting to see uh, where he goes and what he does on his pro day to see if he could improve on those numbers. Uh, pro days are a whole nother story. You could take that as you will. Uh, if you think that home teams have a fast track or, you know, uh, your own um, timers are different, but uh, I, I tend to look at the, the three cone and, and the short shuttle and, and the agility drills more than the 40 yard dash by far. Yeah. I mean, you can look at the 40 yard dash and pro days, the general rule of thumb that I've seen and that I think is probably pretty good is that you take off about five hundredths of a second because it's hand timed and hand timers usually start a split second late just because they have to react to the start. Uh, but they're a little better on the finish because they can kind of anticipate when the guy's going to cross. So 40 yard dash, I don't put as much stock in the pro days, but at the same time, you can kind of correct and compare. Uh, but I'm with you on the other things the the agility drills, the jumping drills, those are important and you can get a good sense. Even if a guy does not test at the combine, if he tests at a pro day. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I completely agree. So, uh, we are going into this because kind of winging it. How you want to talk about any running backs that impressed you first? Yeah, I don't think we really need to talk about quarterbacks. No, uh, we, we the only thing we that. can say is it's pretty much Haskins and Murray, and nobody else matters. Yeah, right? and he, and even with that, like I'm a lot lower on the consensus on Murray. Um, I we'll talk about that. Yeah, yeah, that, that's 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 another right. story. I know but, his pro day was today, and he looked good. So. Yeah, but yeah, you're right. Those are definitely the only two that I'm considering in yeah. dynasty drafts. But I Baker Mayfield on most of my teams, so I don't have to worry about it. So fuck them. True. <laughs> yeah. So one guy I already mentioned for the running backs. I think probably the biggest winner of the guys who tested. Actually, I would say there are two. I think Miles Sanders did very well. He tested pretty well across the board, and then Alex Barnes. He's a guy that's probably going to go, you know, I would think third, fourth round at this point, but we'll see. Obviously it depends a lot on draft capital and landing spot. Uh, but those two guys tested pretty well across the board. And Alex Barnes is really one of the only, you know, 220 plus pound backs in this class. We have a lot of undersized guys. Um, and generally speaking, the running backs just tested poorly across the board. Mm -hmm. So the other winners Number one, obviously, Josh Jacobs, because he just didn't test. And he's already sure. viewed as one of the top backs. And since everybody else went out there, especially the top guys, they all went out and basically flopped. I think he's probably going to become the consensus number one back. So I think he helped himself just by not doing anything. I agree. Uh, and he's going to make people evaluate him based on his Alabama resume and his film. And the film grinders love him. So I think he's doing well. Bryce Love, Rodney Anderson are two other guys that did not test. Uh, I think they're probably helped themselves just by virtue of the other guys going out and flopping as well. Uh, so the two guys that I think really won that actually tested though, uh, Miles Sanders and uh, Alex Barnes. Yeah. So I agree with you with both of them, especially uh, Miles Sanders. Uh, he, he, you know, uh, you probably, a lot of people have heard it. He had by far the best combine of the running backs with a, um, a six, eight, nine, three cone, which, is very very good um the 
what you want to look for really uh, for the elite numbers are sub seven. So six, eight, nine is is uh, is borderline elite. But the one guy, and maybe I'm a homer for this, but uh, by Quill Armstead from Temple, he's not going to be drafted early uh, in dynasty drafts or in the NFL drafts. But um, he had very good uh, college production, four, four, five, forty, which is uh, decent. 22 reps on the bench, which that brings me to another argument. Why are we still benching? Like, okay, wh- why aren't we changing this to a squat at this point? I, I don't understand why we have to look at the bench and think that that's any form of measure for yeah. anything. But I put no stock in the bench other yeah. than the one thing I will say. If a guy goes out, especially a guy of decent size, if he goes out and just does nothing on the bench, that's a sign that he's not working. So the only thing I can kind of say that I look at is the guys on the real extreme ends. I think it speaks to work ethic more than anything else, but a guy that can bench 15 reps versus 25 reps, that's not going to tell you anything about how they can perform in the league. No, not at all. And, and one of the uh, one of the running backs that come to mind with that, was didn't Christian McCaffrey bench like have nine reps? Or it, it was something very, very low. But that, there's I put zero – uh, zero faith into the bench reps as far as it telling you how, how they're going to produce as far as strength. I look at that for linemen, if you're into the scouting, you know, defensive linemen especially. But back to Reichwell, um, 30 inches on the vert, 114 on the broad, both good. 702 on the three cone. So just above that threshold that I like them to hit at this at the uh, seven mark, but just barely. And then 429 on the 20-yard shuttle, which is uh, also very good. So uh, for, for a lesser-known guy, many probably didn't know him because he's not part of the Power Five conferences and, and he's at a temple and he just wasn't on national TV at all. Um, but he's someone that I think you could see drafted or drafted in the uh, third, fourth round of Dynasty drafts, especially if he finds himself on a good team. Uh, I, I, I don't know. Uh, I don't have all the depth charts with all the free agency moves with how many there were. So as far as landing spots go, you know, I would love to see him go stay at home and go to the Eagles because um, they don't have much there right now, uh, especially with with uh, Tevin Coleman gone and Le'Veon gone and Jay Jai gone. So I don't know who they're really leaning on. Uh, I expect them to go and draft a running back, but uh, maybe they, they go for Raquel in the uh, in the later rounds. So uh, he's someone I'm keeping an eye on. Um, yeah, and I have one other under the radar guy. Sure. Justice Hill, he's undersized, so he's probably looking at a satellite back roll. But he was actually – he tested pretty much off the charts, although he is small, so when you size adjust it, it's not quite as impressive. But he was the fastest in the 40. He jumped the highest in the high jump. He jumped the farthest in the broad jump. And then he didn't test any agility drills. So he had himself quite a day. I mean, he finished at the top of the charts on essentially everything he tested, um, actually checking to see if he did bench because that would be the one he certainly wouldn't. Yeah, 21 reps, though, so that's still pretty oh, good. That's very good. Especially for a guy his size. So he went out and killed it. Uh, he's going to be a later-round pick, I'm sure, and he's probably going to go later in rookie drafts as well. Uh, but got to keep an eye on He's very athletic. And I didn't have the numbers for Barnes and Sanders, but uh, now I got those. So if anyone's curious, Alex Barnes, when he size adjust, he's over the 50th percentile in speed. Uh, and then – 80th percentile or above in burst agility. And he did 34 reps on the bench, which was 
uh, basically top of the charts. So good day for him. And Miles Sanders, who's only 211 pounds, so he's a little undersized, could theoretically bulk up. He was basically 75th to 80th percentile across the board. Uh, so above average in essentially every category. Uh, didn't blow you away in anything particular, but strong athlete uh, across the board. No, I, I agree with both those. I know a lot of people were talking about Justice Hill. Um, so, yeah, those are both those are both solid takes. Uh, moving on to wide receiver, uh, I'll start. And I, I don't think either of my guys are going to be much surprised. I'm trying to stay away from the big-name guys. But Miles Boykin had a combine that was unbelievable. Um, he, he was on the top of the charts for every uh, every metric uh, with a 40-yard dash of 4-4-2 and a bench of 12 reps. So, if you again, I don't care about the bench. At 6'4", 220 pounds, yes, I guess you should be able to do a little bit more than 12 reps on the bench. I do not care. 4-4-2, uh, very solid speed for someone at that height. 6'4", 220, 4-4-2 is very good. 43-and-a-half vert and 140 broad jump. So he can jump out of the gym. A three-cone, a 6-7-7, so an unbelievable three-cone. And a 407 20-yard shuttle, which is also elite. Um, coming out of Notre Dame, uh, big hands, long arms. Uh, I'm sure if you've watched anything on NFL Network, I know Steve Smith was all over him. Uh, everybody's been talking about him. So he's someone that I think definitely found himself into the back half of the uh, first round of Dynasty Drafts after you get through the DK Metcalfs of the world. Uh, I would personally take Boinkin over Metcalf, but uh, that's just me. That's why I will trade back in Dynasty Drafts uh, so I could pick up some capital and still get Boinkin. Then the other guy is very much the opposite. Um, I go from someone who's 6'4", 220, to someone who's 5'9", 188, and might be the Dynasty darling right now with Andy Isabella from Mass. Uh, 4'3", 140. So the guy is a rocket. 15 reps on the bench, so at 5'9", 188, that's pretty good. Uh, and then the rest of his, um, the jumping, the explosiveness were uh, a little bit above average, but a 6.95 three cone, which is below that threshold that I like, and a 4.15 20 yard shuttle. So with Andy Isabella, you're looking at, I hate to give him that Wes Welker slot role. So I'm going to call him more of a uh, Jarvis Landry, where, you know, you put a linebacker on someone who could run 4.31, and he's going to smoke you. So he's someone that I'm very, very interested in, going to be a PPR monster if he goes to the right system. Uh, I personally um, uh, looking for him to go to somewhere like, uh, you know, if, if the Browns want to move Landry to the outside and put Isabella in the slot and just give up on Antonio Callaway, you know, that'd be a nice fit. Or uh, I could see Isabella being something like a Cooper Cup type, except faster and quicker. Uh, so both of them. Really, really liked. I liked Isabella before the combine, but I like him even more now. Yeah, dude, I love Andy Isabella as well. And the usual knock on guys like him coming out of Massachusetts is that he doesn't play good competition. But in his college career, he played both Mississippi State and Georgia and shredded them both uh, over 200 yards against Georgia. So he's shown that he can show up against the best players. Uh, not that we have a big sample size, but he has definitely done it. Uh, Combine was very good as well. I actually see him maybe more of like a gadget player, you know, Curtis Samuel type, Tyreek Hill type, okay. rather than a slot player because he's just athletic across the board. 
usually the slot guys, I'd rather see them if they don't have the great speed and if they have the good quickness and agility. But he's got the speed too, so you can line him up on the outside, send him deep, sure, uh, and just have him beat corners like the way Tyree Kill does. So yeah, I think that's a decent fit for him as well. I'm very interested to see if anyone drafts him. I'm sure they will, but more the question would be who drafts him and when. Uh, and how they're going to use him because I think he has a lot of ways teams can benefit from his services. I agree. Yeah, it, it, that's a good point. I, I would love to see a team be able to move him all around the offense. A, uh, uh, I never thought of him as an outside threat just because you don't typically think of five nine receivers, but you know you do have Tyreek Hill who has that speed who can take the top off. Um, so it'll be it'll be very interesting to see uh, what team drafts him and and what the what they plan to do with him, but. Uh, who were who are some receivers that stood out to you besides Isabella? So I have two guys that I thought went out and probably helped themselves quite a bit. Uh, the first one being Paris Campbell. He absolutely shredded basically everything he did. Uh, ran a 4-3-1, so he's right up there with Andy Isabella, blazing yep. speed. Uh, that gives him a 96 percentile speed score. He's 6-0-205, so not small, but not big either. Uh, and then his burst score, 97th percentile killed it in the jumping drills and then he didn't test in the agility drills. So that's what I want to see. We don't have an agility score for him uh, player profiler. Um, So I want to see that hopefully he'll test at a pro day or something else. Um, But I want to see that number because he's another one of those guys I think could be a gadget type player. A lot Curtis Samuel, Tyree kill those type of guys. I think you can line him up in the slot, but with that speed, I'd also like to see him on the outside. Uh, Just get him in space because he's the type of guy that can be elusive and make guys miss in the open field. The other guy that helped himself was not a guy that blew up the combine, but Nikhil Harry, because he's one of the true guys who dominated college at a young age. He has a very strong resume from a production standpoint, and not as many guys in his class can say it. He also did it in a major conference at Arizona State in the Pac-12, so that's positive. And really all I wanted to see out of him was that he's not – a bottom percentile athlete ran a four five three, which isn't great, but at his size that gives him almost a 90th percentile speed score. So for his size, very impressive, uh, over the 75th percentile and burst. So the jumping drills, not too bad, uh, above average for sure. And didn't ch- test in the agility drills to get him an agility score as well. Uh, so I want to see that, but just the fact that he was not a bottom percentile athlete was a big win for him because now his profile is essentially complete. He pretty much checks all the boxes for me. Yeah, uh, like Paris Campbell, I mentioned earlier, um, someone who I, I thought did great. Uh, both, you know, solid takes uh, with those guys. And yeah, like you had mentioned earlier in the show, it, it's the combine is interesting to see. Uh, you know, not just the smaller school players like the Andy Isabellas, but to see the big name players and to see how they exactly produce when. You know, it's just them. Um, and the it's unfortunate we don't have agility drills on all these guys because, like I said, I think those are more important than anything else. I, I put more stock into the shuttles and three-cone drill than anything. Uh, so that's unfortunate. Hopefully we get something from their pro days, which I know started recently. Um, but we'll see. And then final position group, tight ends. So instead of having two that I really, really liked, I my tight end one. And then I have one that uh, dropped very, very far for me. Uh, and I was never really high on him to begin with, but Irv Smith did not help his case at all at the combine, uh, tested very poorly, 
46340, which is actually not bad for a tight end. Uh, 19 reps on the bench, where if you're blocking, you kind of expect that to be a little bit better, but it's okay. He, he showed very good blocking skills at Bama. Uh, jumps are fine. Three cone was 732, uh, 433 shuttle. He's just someone that I thought would test a little bit better. The biggest thing with me is with the lack of explosiveness in the jumps, uh, he's also only 6'2". So for a tight end, that is uh, that's pretty small. That's 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 tiny for a tight end, 6'2", 242. Um, you, could, you could ask him to put on the weight, but he's certainly not going to grow anymore. And he doesn't have the explosiveness to kind of go up and get it. Uh, I know Gronk isn't explosive either, but he's certainly taller than 6'2". So he's someone that uh, definitely worries me. Um, very low catch radius. So it, it, I'm interested to see uh, where he goes in the draft and if he's going to be a plug-and-play type guy. Uh, I know a lot of his comps were his former uh, teammate, O.J. Howard. I do not see that at all. No, I'm with you. Yeah, so that's uh, that's him. And then my tight end one is not Noah Fant. Uh, I think Noah Fant's going to be great. I think he's Evan Ingram all over again uh, as far as a receiving threat who can't block for shit. But I think TJ Hawkinson, his teammate, is my tight end, number one. Uh, and this is more, uh, I'm biased to the film side with this. Granted, TJ had a very good combine. Uh, speed score, 71st percentile. Uh, but his catch radius is in the 91st percentile. Uh, and his agility score is up there as well, as, long as, as well as his burst score. Uh, now, if you watch film, you would know that TJ is a monstrous blocker, a great blocker at 6'5", you know, 251. That's the that's the height and weight you want from a tight end. Uh, and he was sharing the load with Noah Fant, uh, you know, this past year. But 123 inches on the broad jump, a 702 three cone. So that's right at that threshold that I like. And for a tight end, that is absolutely moving. Uh, 418, 20-yard shuttle, 407 on the 40. So he doesn't have straight line speed. I don't want my tight end to have straight line speed. I do not care. Um, but to, but to give me a six, five tight end with that sort of explosiveness and, and that agility, I think you're looking at a plug and play guy. I think you're looking at someone who's never going to come off the field who could line up with the line, uh, as a blocking tight end, uh, someone similar to a Gronk, someone similar to a Kelsey who, who are just elite at receiving at, at, at blocking their athletic freaks, TJ Hawkinson. He's my number one. I'm looking at him at the back half of the first round of dynasty drafts. I like the call. It's so hard for me to pick between the two guys. I still have not decided, uh, but obviously they both shredded it. You talked about Hawkinson. All Noah Fant did uh, when you size adjust was go out and do 97th percentile speed, 97th percentile burst, 96th percentile agility, and a 99th percentile catch radius. Oh, he's a monster. Athletically, <laughs> he's a insane. freak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I agree. I agree. It's It's absolutely insane. And the fact that he's doing all this, at tight end height and weight at 6'4", 249, you know, he, he's not a smaller tight end who can move. He's, he's great. That's, I, I absolutely agree, but he's not a great blocker. So that's where I think you're looking at a, uh, I'm not, not Marquez Colston, how he came out as a tight end and, and then moved to wide receiver. I think he's going to stay at tight end. I think he's very similar to Evan Ingram, but I, I just love the blocking ability and, and the never come off the field. Uh, attitude that TJ has, but I, I could definitely see the argument for both. 
Yeah, I, I'm leaning Fant at this point, and it's because I don't put as much value on blocking as I think a lot of other people do because when you're blocking, you can't catch a pass. And sure, you might run a few less routes when you're when you're not in on blocking downs. Uh, if a play breaks down or something happens or they call an audible. Um, but at the same time, if, if he's a really good pass catcher, which every indication shows he is at this point, uh, he's going to be out there for passing downs, and he's going to get targeted. And I, I think Evan Ingram's a nice comp. Uh, the real difference maker for me is that Noah Fant broke out earlier. He went in and dominated essentially right away. Yeah. Uh, so we have a bigger sample of him producing at a high level in the Big Ten. Uh, so that that's really it for me. I think we have a bigger sample size. I want to go back and watch film on these guys and really break them down. But I'm leaning Fant at this point. Uh, he obviously went out and helped himself, but so did Hawkinson. And I think on the flip side, two guys that really hurt themselves – not that we were really probably drafting either one of them anyway, but if they had gone out and had a good combine or landed in a nice spot, could have been in uh, in the discussion. Isaac Nauta from Georgia yeah. and Zach Gentry from Michigan both went out, basically tested bottom of the pile on every drill, just absolute sub-athletes. And at the tight end position, there is a decent correlation between athleticism and success in the NFL. So those guys are pretty much fully off my board at this point. Yeah, and a lot of people were talking about Isaac Nada coming off that injury. Um, yep. But, yeah, he, he performed poorly. Now, I think the the thing to remember with Fant versus Hawkinson is we're doing this, obviously, before the draft. Yep. Uh, landing a situation. A landing situation. Uh, it's very possible that's going to completely dictate where everybody ranks these two tight ends. I think these are one and two by a very wide margin. 1A yep. and 1B. Yep. So if one of them goes to a team like the Saints, uh, who desperately need a tight end, and one goes to the Patriots, you know, which is nice, but if Gronk comes back, uh, then, then you're looking at disparity. I mean, if any of these tight ends go to the Saints, then you could be looking at a top seven dynasty pick. Uh, I know, like Evan Ingram... Uh, in a lot of dynasty picks, well, he was with the OJ Howard crew, but if you were on Ingram, he a lot of people said he was top five. Um, so I, I think if Fant goes to the Saints, uh, you're looking at that. I'm trying to think of other teams that may that are very tight. The Lions, uh, even though they just went out and got a tight end, who else would be a good? Yeah, fit? I mean, I think you could probably look at the Packers as well. They're in need of a yeah, tight end. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jimmy's Jimmy's gone. Really, you just want to look at strong offenses. Yeah. Uh, the Seahawks need a tight end as well. I know they're trying to be as run-heavy as possible, which doesn't make sense to me, but there are targets to go around. So Seahawks and Packers would be the other two spots I would think would be a really nice landing spot for either of these guys. And I totally agree with you. Whichever one goes to a better spot, pretty good, pretty much going to easily jump the other one. Uh, but 1A, 1B, and then no one's even close. Yeah, and you know if Gronk does retire – the Patriots are up there with the Saints as far as best landing spots. Absolutely. Uh, so uh, you got to look at that. The draft is going to be fun. They're both going to be drafted in the first round. Neither of these guys are slipping to the second. Uh, I guarantee it. So that'll be fun. But I don't really have too many other takeaways from the combine. There weren't a lot of standout performances. I know DK Metcalf was, a lot of people think, the biggest standout performance. But the people that think that, uh, don't know how to watch the combine or don't know how to look at the metrics and realize that the guy is as agile as the water bottle sitting on my desk. So 
he's not someone that uh, I want. I hope that he goes in the top three in, in dynasty drafts. Um, someone that I don't have to worry about. You could work on agility. I understand that, and he could he could get coached up, and that can improve. And he has every other tool to be an elite wide receiver, but he's not someone, especially with the lack of college production that he had. He's not someone that that I'm really going to look at. Uh, but do you have any anybody else as far as uh, the combine that really stood out? The last guy that I wanted to talk about, I meant to get him while we were at wide receivers, Riley Ridley. Just uh, went out and face planted. Yeah. Well, we He's, knew this. Yeah. I mean, everyone who knows anything knew this was <laughs> going to happen, but there are still people out there, the film grinders, that are pushing Ridley as a strong pick and they think he's going to be the next Calvin Ridley or whatever. But he didn't even test well in speed. At least Calvin Ridley is fast in a straight line. Yeah. But Riley Ridley, 458 at 6'1, 199, is horribly unimpressive. And it only gets worse from there. He was under the 20th percentile in burst, agility, and catch radius. Just a complete bum. And he wasn't even good at Georgia. That's the thing. You can't even fall back on the fact that he dominated tough competition because he didn't. Yeah. No, I mean, you listen to this podcast, you know yeah. that we're, we're not big fans of the Ridley family. Uh, you you so, can't touch Riley Ridley. Yeah. So doesn't matter how far he falls. And, and another name that – and I, and I avoided talking about him because he's another one that didn't do the agility drills. But Hakeem Butler, a lot of people are talking about him. And he's another one that, you know, looking at him, it, it, it very enticing. 6'5", 227, 10 and three-quarter inch hands, which I can't fathom having hands that big. Uh, 44840 for someone who's 6'5", is very impressive. 128-inch broad jump. So he he's going to be fun to watch, a speed score in the 97th percentile. Uh, six five. I think he's more of a number one than DK Metcalf personally, but I'm kind of worried that he didn't do the agility drills. Uh, I'm going to be watching uh, his his pro day very very closely. Um, I don't know when Iowa State's pro day is, but um, it's someone that I, that I want to watch. Uh, but I'm glad you brought up Ridley because I could not agree more. So yeah, I, I'm less worried about Butler's athleticism than I am that it took him until his final year to dominate in the Big 12, which is the best conference for wide receivers for passing games. It's just so wide open, and he wasn't able to really do anything until his final year. So he's – I mean, he's not crazy old. He's almost 23, though, so he's an old prospect, and he didn't really do anything until just before he came out. That's what concerns me more than his athleticism. Yeah. No, like I've been down on this draft class for a long time. And the combine did not do anything to change my mind. There's really, other than the tight ends, there's really no one that I want. If I have 2019 picks, I'm looking to, I'm holding until the pro days and I'm holding until the draft when the stock is at the highest and I am moving back. I'm going to 2020 where everybody knows it's going to be a loaded running back class. Uh, So there's just, or, you know, a trade for assets that people already have. People yep. will lose their minds over rookies. And I and I and you, you value picks a lot in Dynasty. And I get it. Picks are very, very valuable. But you can't force production. And I think that's what a lot of people are going to attempt to do for this 2019 class. And uh, I will benefit because I will just trade back. Yep, I've already traded away a lot of my picks, especially the early ones, because there are guys later on that I'll be interested in. Um, 
Miles Sanders if he goes to the second round, Alex Barnes third, fourth round. Some of these receivers, you know, Andy Isabella, um, Paris Campbell if he goes far, far enough down. But there are a lot of these guys I will be interested in. But I don't think many of them, if any, are going to be first round. So I'm I'm getting rid of most of my first rounders at least. Yeah, the only first rounders that I would be interested in would be the tight ends. You would be TJ or Fant. And that's really only if uh, my team needs the tight ends. You know, I'm not – if I'm stacked at tight end, like the home league that I mentioned before, I have Kelsey uh, and Kittle. I'm not going to draft a tight end. And if I do, then I'm probably just going to, you know, look to trade Kelsey, I guess. You know, he's the oldest. But that's not going to happen. I'm going to look to trade back. Uh, it's going to be a lot of team needs with this draft, which I don't necessarily believe in. I like best player available. But in a draft like this, when all the players are just kind of meh, uh, you need a tiebreaker somewhere, and that's where team needs kind of comes in. Yeah, and most important part, I think, of this draft is really just going to be avoiding the landmines. <laughs> yeah, there's going to be a lot of them. I think yep. there's going to be quite a few. Um, yeah, that's always that's always a big part. But that's going to wrap up our show for tonight. Uh, like I said, we're going to uh, wait for a free agency to kind of calm down, and we could – look and evaluate all the landing spots. Uh, we're not going to touch defense, much to my chagrin. I love defense, but that's okay. We're going to look at the quarterbacks. There's only a couple. Um, you know, Tyrod, the most important one, obviously. Hell yeah. Uh, so we're going to look at some quarterbacks. You know, there's a couple of big-name running backs. Uh, wide receivers are more of trading, uh, which we talked about, than free agency. But regardless, we're going to – tackle them all, look at nice landing spots, what they do for their dynasty stock and those pieces around them. We will try and get that show in early next week. Regardless, you could follow us on Twitter to find out when we're posting. Again, I'm at the Dynasty Owl. Mark's at Leopold NFL. Or you could just follow Gridiron Experts. Go to gridironexperts.com slash podcast. Look at the family podcast. Once again, we are the Dynasty Degenerates. Thank you for joining us this week.